Welcome into The Harvest, a podcast dedicated to helping you live for Jesus and share your faith in the everyday places of life. I'm Andrew Stroud, and on today's show, I'm joined by my good friend, John Snyder. John leads the Navigator's disciple-making ministry at Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and brings 20 years of in-the-trenches wisdom to today's conversation. If you want to get serious about following Jesus and learning how to help others follow Him, and if you want to do it for the long haul, I hope you'll listen to what John has to share today. Well, John, welcome to the ITH home studio. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks, Andrew. You've been in a lot of uh, studios in the past. I don't know if we'll get a chance to talk about that in the course of you telling us a little bit more about your background, but you know a lot about sound and sound tech. So um, even though we're in season two, I was already asking your advice on some of uh, (laughs) how we're setting things up here with the podcast. But no, it's definitely, definitely fun having you. you know, we go back, our friendship goes back now 20 years, which is crazy, man. We're getting old. But uh, yeah, why don't, uh, some of our audience may know you, but many won't. So why don't you tell us a little bit about just your own personal history, where you are today, a little bit about your family, and uh, just introduce yourself. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Um, so my wife, Jessica, and I are at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. We serve with the Navigators Military Mission. And uh, we have uh, five children, Jonathan, Jaron, Jonas, Judah, and Juliet, four (laughs) four boys and uh, a girl. And uh, God's been very good to us. Um, We can't imagine life without them. And Mm -hmm. uh, really uh, looking at ministry as a team event, as a family event, that uh, they're just as much about our ministry and ministering to the people that come into our homes as we are. So they're a real gift of God in that way. Um, Yeah, so I I actually grew up in a Christian home. a real small town called Chillicothe, Ohio, and uh, I try to describe it to our folks, that, particularly in military terms, that we were a mandatory formation home, hmm. that every single time the church doors opened, we really were there. Um, we lived right across the street from the church, and so um, whether it was band practice on Thursday nights or whatever it may be, um, I was always there, um, and I, I don't remember many nights where uh, we weren't at weren't at the church in some form or fashion, whether that was serving or learning at a service or uh, reaching out to people in the community, whatever it was. Mm. Um, I only remember one time in my entire life where we missed, I was allowed to miss Sunday night service, and that's when the Bengals were in the Super Bowl. <laughs> and so I got to stay home and record the game for our family, and uh, it didn't matter. My dad came home and he saw my face, and he knew exactly who had won when Joe Montana uh, brought everybody yeah. all the way back, and they won the game on a last-second touchdown. I was just broke off you know so that's back with icky woods right oh uh, yeah back in the day boomer boomer size and icky woods yeah. yeah yes some good times that we've never really captured it obviously again but uh. right <laughs> <laughs> but yeah so um man i every day I, I saw my dad sitting in his chair every morning with peanut butter toast and a cup of coffee uh, reading the scriptures praying to god and uh, he was constantly talking about sharing his faith and um being concerned about people's um just spiritual walk. So, um, and my mom and dad both were constantly involved in serving other people and reaching out to folks around them. So I definitely received at a very young age just how important walking with Jesus was and what it looked like to minister in a very practical way. Um, but all that was really centered at our church, um, at the Salvation Army where, where we ministered together. Um, but most of all, probably kind of the fallback of all that was I, I just didn't know Jesus. Um, my parents knew him very, very well, 
Um, I'm sure there were many saints that were involved in our church then that were really walking with Jesus, were very inspirational, but I just, I did not know him myself. I knew about him a lot. Um, and so I would go through these seasons of life where um, God was very important to me, and then other seasons of my life where I acted as if he didn't even exist. Um, and, and I just couldn't figure out how I was kind of pendulum swinging between these two, hmm. these two extremes in my life. Um, so I was getting ready to graduate high school, and an Army recruiter came in to, uh, to my high school, and he was an Army band recruiter. And I was planning on going to college at Ohio State University to, to study trombone performance. I was a musician then, and um, he laid it on pretty thick. He was like, oh, man, you're really good. You know, We could really <laughs> use a trombone player like you. And he was a great recruiter. And so I thought, well, I don't really know if I could do this band thing as a profession. I'd like to find out you know, if I can. And then you know, there was a, lots of bennies, so I went back home and told my dad, who was in the Air Force. He's like, "Oh man, you'll you'll start out the rank that I left the Air Force at. You should do this, you know." And, mm. and so then I had all these choices, you know, what I wanted to do, where I wanted to go. So Germany was my very very first duty assignment with the Army, and um, I knew I needed to go to church. And so uh, every Sunday I went to church and invited folks from from my unit to go with me. Uh, man, there's got to be something more to this. Um, so then I started going out to the Bible study on Thursday nights. and uh, This was a Bible study that met on the base? Yeah, at the chapel on post, yeah. Okay. Um, and while I was there, I thought, man, there's still got to be something more to this. Like, I just kept remembering, like, looking around and thinking, does no one else want to raise their hand and actually ask questions? Hmm. And um, So you're saying that there, not so much that there's got to be more to life, but maybe there's got to be more to faith? What, yeah, I just... You know, I saw something very vibrant in my parents. There was this, we owned this relationship with Jesus, and we, we were constantly reaching out to the people around us. And mm. as God gives us opportunity, we share the gospel. And uh, I just thought, man, I don't know how to do any of those things. I, I had somewhat of a burden to do them, but I just was kind of clueless. And mm. other than just like blindly stepping out and um, kind of just going for it, I just kind of felt like, well, all I know to do is go to church myself and invite people to come with me. Um, but when I was there, I, I just kind of had this kind of antsiness. Like we sang songs and, the, and the, the pastor would teach and there wasn't anything wrong with those things. In fact, I got things from them, but I thought, man, I, I don't know what I'm supposed to do when I go to work on Monday. Like, mm. How do I honor God when I'm at work or when we're on this, um, on the parade field or wherever we're at, wherever the army takes me. And I thought, man, there's gotta be more to it. Um, and so I talked to the chaplain, and he's like, well, just keep coming to the Bible study and uh, just continue to, you know, if you ask questions, come to me. And that worked for a little while for me, but um, after a while I thought, you know what, I'll just read my Bible. I'll try and do the right thing. And uh, I kind of headed it out on my own. And really that next really two years of my life was just me doing whatever I wanted to do, um, almost like the period of Judges in the Bible that, God was very clearly had done some pretty remarkable things in my life, but uh, it's almost as if I had forgotten all those good things and the background that I'd had growing up. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, it was a real kind of dry time, spiritually for sure. Um, and the whole time my parents, I knew, were praying for me and they were mailing me books to read and hmm. and they were very on purpose about helping me continue on my walk with Jesus. And I thought, man... Um, is there no one around me, around my age, that's that's like me, trying to figure out how to walk with Jesus? I, I felt isolated, like I was the only one really trying to do it. 
Um, so the Lord was very gracious. He gave me orders to Fort Campbell, Kentucky. And uh, yeah. I, don't know, I don't know if you know this or not, but I joined the Army to get out of Ohio. And <laughs> Kentucky is for sure a downgrade. Oh, wow. <laughs> for sure. You know. for, for those in our audience who don't know, I'm from Kentucky. So a little little side shot there by John. Sorry, bro. <laughs> yeah, now that we've lived in other places, they're pretty much the same place. It pretty much is, yeah. It's exactly the same thing. And so I thought, man, there's no way. I'm not going not going to Kentucky, you know. And you only had a little bit of time left too, right? Am I yeah. remembering that right, that it was sort of unusual that they would ship you from an overseas assignment? Yeah to finish up your, your time in the military. Yeah, I really had to do about 10 months, and uh, for them to ship me back for those 10 months was, was kind of strange. But hmm. uh, anyway, I went re- regardless of how I got there. Um, and uh, it was really during that time that I felt like God was was very clearly reaching out to me again, um, that he was constantly pursuing me. Even in those times where I was walking away, he was very active. There were people or conversations that would come up that, and I know that, I know this is right. I know that the Lord exists, and I know He has. He wants to use me. Um, so I remember praying. I got stuck in replacement for like a month and a half, uh, which is unheard of. It's not like I can go to any infantry unit across Fort Brown, uh, Fort, Fort Campbell. Yeah, and replacement is basically this in processing um, headquarters, I guess, like where yeah. you're you're at your new assignment location, but you haven't actually been shipped out to your specific unit. So you're just sort of sitting there. waiting yep. so for six weeks you're sitting around you're sitting around waiting yep exactly so i was waiting for a dental appointment where once i finally got the appointment i just literally opened my mouth and he's like okay you're good to go <laughs> and then i could go to my unit um it was the craziest thing in the world but during that time god was really working on me and i thought you know what uh i just remember praying to god god would you if this thing is legit which i think it is would you help me find someone who could help me walk, walk with you, be used by you, minister to the people around me. And I remember thinking that, uh, well, I'll just put my dreams on hold. And uh, the more and more I wrestled with it, I thought, you know what, if this thing is real, um, which I thought it was, then uh, I'll trade in my dreams. Like, uh, hmm. Whatever you want me to do, I'll do it. And all this other stuff can go go to the wayside if I just need, I need personal help. And I don't know if anybody else feels that way, but I sure did. I thought, man, I had all these examples, but I just, I don't know. I just couldn't connect the dots. And uh, that's actually when I met it, when I met met you, Andrew, that uh, I was getting up in the morning trying to figure out where the church was or chapel was on post. And I was just going to kind of walk around, ask questions and have someone point me there. And uh, you walked in and like, hey, we're out this morning inviting people to church. Would you like to come? And I thought, yep, absolutely. And uh, so you took me out to breakfast that morning. G's Pancake House. G's Pancake. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, really, not just to breakfast, not just to church. Um, we played softball that day, but I think we actually even had dinner. And I met Cindy and the family that night, too. And really, I had never seen anybody take that kind of personal interest and invite someone into their life like that. So that even early on, like, man, there's something totally different about this relationship. And uh, you had said something while we were eating at breakfast, and I thought... Um, would be really good for your listeners that uh, it wasn't just about coming into the kingdom and biding your time until you went to heaven, but God really wants to use you, that uh, you're here on this side of heaven to be used of God and to grow and mature in your walk with him, to become more and more like Jesus. And I know I'd been taught that before, but that was when it really, really clicked, that man, that I'm not just trying to not screw up my life or not sin every day 
and kind of wait until I die and go to heaven. But instead, man, there's so much life that could be lived right now. Um, Right. That kind of, so yeah. And how old were you when we met? So I think I was 21 then, I think. 21, and I'm pretty sure I was 27 at the time. So I think one reason why we hit it off was because we had both been praying. God had been working in your life to to stir up within you a desire to to really find out is is this real is this life of faith uh real not just something that i believe in my mind and i'm i'm waiting to see if it if it comes true once i die but isn't there some way that i'm supposed to be living this life of faith now you know while i'm here on the earth yeah and um and i had also been praying i had i had been following Jesus for about six, seven years by that, by that time, and was really at a point where in my own growth, I was learning how to help other people, how to, how to make disciples. So mm. we talk about discipleship and disciple making and the difference between the two. I'd love to get your thoughts on that maybe while we're talking today, but, but I think in the early years of my pursuit of Christ, a lot of it was about discipleship, me learning how to bring my life under the authority of Jesus mm. and to submit to him and, and reorient everything around him. And, uh, and then as, as that took place more and more, I was learning how to help others do that, which I think is disciple making. Mm. But I wasn't having a whole lot of success. I, I couldn't find people that were as eager to, to learn and follow Jesus as I was. And so I, I believe the Lord gave me the chance to help a lot of people, but I was really looking for someone who shared the same heart mm-hmm. as I did and really wanted to go for it and, and live for Jesus. And so I had begun praying maybe two or three weeks before we met and really calling on God to, to bring someone into my life who was a little bit younger than me that I could really invest in, but someone who had the same heart mm-hmm. that I did. And so one thing I'd been doing for a few a few months at that time, I think, was on Sunday mornings, one of the ways I was trying to do outreach was to walk through the replacement barracks, which were just these open bay buildings with yeah. bunk beds and stuff. And, and so most of the uh, soldiers were still asleep. It was Sunday morning. There wasn't a formation. Many of them had been out late the night before uh, partying. But if anyone was awake, then they probably were thinking about spiritual things. And so that was my that was my thought process that, well, I'm going to go fishing, so to speak, on Sunday morning to see, is there anyone? And so when we met, I think pretty quickly, um, I saw that, that you had already been wrestling with some things mm-hmm. and that there was an interest in, and a curiosity there. So, so I think we hit it off because of that. And yeah. I think that was also something that happened in my own life where by the time by the time I met Cecil who's the the older gentleman who discipled me ended up discipling me in my early 20s you know God had already done a lot of the the heavy lifting in terms of what needed to be going on in my heart to uh, to to get my attention and so that when I met Cecil I was really ready to learn and that seems to be I think that's actually a pattern. If you look at the ministry of Jesus, it seems that a lot of his disciples were already primed, that they were already looking for the, uh, looking for the Messiah. So in John 1 with 
uh, Andrew and the other disciple that isn't named, they're already hanging out with John the Baptist yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> because I think he was he was the probably the, the the big figure at that time that hey, if you really want to know about God mm-hmm. and what God's doing, go see this guy John the Baptist and. And then John the Baptist is the one who directed them towards Jesus, but they were already ready to uh, yeah. to listen to what Jesus had to say. And I think that that's something that stands out from your story. And yeah. I see the same in my own. So, Yeah, I think I, I remember thinking that uh, how awkward it was going to be when I finally told you that you're not going to believe this, but <laughs> I actually just prayed that God would bring someone into my life that would help me walk with Jesus. And like, man, he's going to be shocked, you know, like there's going to be this shock factor, like, wow, that's really cool what God did. And so uh, instead of me giving that gift to you, what you gave back to me was like, well, you're not going to believe this. You know, <laughs> I'd actually been praying that God would bring someone into my life that wanted to be invested in, that wanted to grow. Yeah. That would be a kindred spirit to really be engaged in the kingdom together. I think that's a big part of why God brought us together is that we were, we were both praying and asking for that kind of connection. And I read a book years ago called The Timothy Principle. And I honestly can't remember a lot from the book, but there was one point that he made, which is if you're a disciple maker, if you're someone that's really seeking to live this life of sharing your faith and helping the next generation come to know and follow Jesus, you know, God may use you to, to impact and disciple hundreds of people over the course of your lifetime, but he will he will likely only give you a handful of Timothys, that there was a distinction that he made between someone that you're discipling and then someone that you've got a, a special connection with, like, like Paul had yeah. with Timothy. And, um, you know, I think we've had that kind of relationship over the years. And that's also proven true in my life. I don't know that I have had a lot of those kind of relationships where it's just someone that, that you connect with and, you know, God really unites your heart uh, from pretty much from day one and then you get the chance to to stay connected and to, to partner in ministry over a lifetime which is pretty phenomenal yeah it is for sure <laughs> so maybe that's why god only gives us a, a handful of those people is because it it is um it's a very deep relationship and i don't know that we could necessarily have that with 20 people and so um it's it's a double bonus that you get to you get to be friends and disciple many people over the course of your life but you also get those those special connections with a few um but i do think that that those are gifts that those are yeah answers sure. to prayer basically yeah. so yeah i mean it gives me goosebumps just just to, to talk about it and to kind of relive those moments where god was so very clearly at work and have been working in your life and my life and 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 what's kind of resulted in the meantime is uh and a whole lot of folks coming into the kingdom um, even from very beginning, awkward conversations about how do we share the gospel and walk in the streets of Fort Bragg together later on in, in our relationship and just learning how to share my faith and yeah, just just all of it kind of reflecting on us, just how gracious and good the Lord was to to give to give us this relationship, you know. And 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 yet choices do matter, like in that. So that's maybe the next the next part of the the story here is it turned out that. So Cindy and I, we had already, by the time we met, we knew that our time at Fort Campbell, Kentucky was limited. So you arrived with, with 10 months, I think, left yeah. on your enlistment. But we actually had, I think, six months left uh, for our time there. And then we had already agreed to go 
with a Christian organization called The Navigators, and we were going to take our, our first assignment in full-time ministry with, with that organization at Fort Bragg, North Carolina. And so um, I know part of my feeling was, wow, you know, I've been, I've been here for six, seven years, and, you know, God, God brings this special connection with John, and yet I know I've got six months and then I'm out of here. And so uh, maybe share a little bit about, you know, how that played out and what sort of thoughts were going through your mind as you were making decisions about your future after the Army. Yeah. Um, well, I, I had definitely had my struggles in the, in the Army. Um, God really used the Army to teach me a whole bunch of things, but one of those major things was authority. That um, because I felt like I was very good at my job, I didn't necessarily do a great job listening to my leaders and uh, that obviously creates problems <laughs> oh yeah um but man I, it's crazy god was very gracious because what he did was he used the army to be a very very clear representation of the authority that he was going to have in my life if i were really going to follow him so the, really the first thing was is that if i was going to walk with jesus i had to understand what authority looked like mm-hmm. and that he had all of it mm-hmm. that um I, I there wasn't areas of my life that i could hold back and reserve instead he had to get all of my life um, which meant my hopes, my dreams, my future plans. Um, I think I'd had this concept that I could do whatever I wanted if I worked, got in on the Sunday. Right. You know, and, and maybe even overachieve and go like on Tuesday you know, to a Bible study or something. Exactly. And uh, God used the army to say, no, no, like we own you and you will do what we say whenever we say it. Hmm. And uh, that became this very clear kind of switch for me that, uh, man, God is in charge. So um, I just thought I was going to get out for sure because I'd struggled so much and um but really it was kind of strange that last little bit of my time at Fort Campbell because I had put myself under the Lord's authority it was very easy to put myself under the army's authority and uh, it was really kind of a different feel for going into work and recognizing man I'm here because God said I'm here that whatever I do should honor him the way I interact with people should honor him the way I do my job should honor and glorify him it's an opportunity to represent him proclaim the gospel um, so getting out then was this kind of like, wow, um, actually I'm settling in. I really kind of <laughs> see this as a mission field and man, God had totally redeemed all of those frustrating times. Uh, man, maybe, maybe I should stay in, but, uh, I knew that you were leaving and I don't, I actually really don't remember how the conversation went down. I don't know if you I don't remember either. either. Yeah. <laughs> I remember just kind of thinking, I felt like you whimsically said, well, Hey, why don't you just get out and come to brag with us? Right. We were getting ready to start a new adventure and yeah. didn't really know what we were doing. So, uh, at least uh, we could have two of us that were clueless yeah, to for, do something new. For sure. So I, what's crazy is I think you whimsically kind of said it or maybe you thought it out and kind of offered it up but didn't want it to be like this huge deal. But I couldn't stop thinking about it. Um, so that lesson of authority was very, very big. So then because I'd had that lesson, it was, okay, God, well, what do you, what would you have me do? Um, but I couldn't have made that dis- that second decision without the first one, that God was in charge. And so I remember wrestling with it. I think um, I'm an ISTJ, so if, any, if you know Myers-Briggs or you know temperaments at all, I tend to be a very, very safe decision maker. There's a right way to do things, a wrong way to do things. Security is a big deal. So getting out of the Army was a big enough deal, but then yeah. transferring somewhere else where I didn't know anybody besides y'all was also huge. Hmm. I obviously had never lived in North Carolina before. And there's really no, there was no reason for you to go there outside of like our connection right. and seeking to represent Jesus and make disciples in this new place. So that was really 
Yeah. That's why you were going there. It wasn't, there wasn't a career, for sure. it wasn't a career move where you were going to school. No. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I would used, uh, so bottom line is that I thought, you know what, uh, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I, I had, I cannot be a safe decision maker. Yeah. I have to be a faith decision maker. And as I wrestled with it, I just couldn't, I couldn't get out of my mind that I need to go to brag. You know, hmm. I knew that, um, I could go back home and study go to college, um, be involved in the local church where my parents were. I thought um, I'd probably get more responsibilities than I could handle or even knew what to do with spiritually. I knew I could stay there at Fort Campbell and learn from the ministry there. God was already using the ministry in a pretty serious way. Um, But as I wrestled with Fort Bragg, I thought this will be the thing that that causes my faith to grow the most Mm. and would, would give me the opportunity to become more and more like Jesus. Mm-hmm. more so than the others but for me it was very anti it was against who Anti-logic i was as a person yeah just anti-personality <laughs> yeah so this was very much a faith-based decision i think some of the the themes that you're touching on that stand out to me one is just the connection between authority obedience and faith yeah it's not an accident i don't believe that some of the people that that received the highest commendation from jesus were soldiers people in the military and in particular, there was the, the, the instance where the centurion had a, a servant who he was hoping Jesus would heal, and uh, he's sending this, this messenger, and yeah. he finally tells Jesus, look, you don't even need to, to come to my house. If you say the word, uh, my servant will be healed. And it says that Jesus was amazed, which yeah. those, those little statements like that stand out to me, because if, if you can amaze Jesus, to me, that's... That's something that we should perk up like, well, wow, what was it that amazed Jesus? And it was his faith. Um, but the, the centurions had said that I am a man under authority. Hmm. And the reason he had such great faith, I think, was because he understood the, the principle of authority. And so yeah. I think in the same way for us, if we want to be people of faith, we cannot do it outside of really doing business with the authority of Jesus and what does that mean for our lives? Yeah, and you're right. Uh, I think someone in the military, in some ways, has a leg up on the rest of us who live in a free society because you have, at least for that period of time, signed over rights to your life. And so, if the mm. if the army tells you you are going to move from Germany to Fort Campbell, then you do it. <laughs> like that's okay. you don't have to necessarily <laughs> like it. You don't have to really think it makes sense. If they tell you you're going to sit around for six weeks because you're waiting on a dentist appointment, then you're going to sit around for six weeks, you know, like because you're under authority, um, it really does affect how your life goes. So that's that's one thing that stands out. And then another one that that you shared there is not just adding Jesus to your life, which I think is endemic in Christianity. It is. Maybe worldwide, but certainly here in in America, I think most, most people who would consider themselves people of faith are trying to add Jesus on to their already busy life, their goals, their dreams, what they're trying to accomplish, rather than just basically clearing the table and saying, you know, Lord, what do you want from my life? And then how can I build around that? Yeah, he's not an accessory. (laughs) He's not an accessory. I mean, that's straight up, you know. I think the Bible's full of those kind of stories. Where your treasure is, there I'll be also. You cannot serve two masters, you know. Galatians 1.10, he talks about the same. I cannot please man and please God. If I was trying to please man, I could not be right. bought and servant of Christ. Christ. There, this divided loyalty that really is in every aspect of life. 
Yeah. But you're correct. Is all over Christianity is uh, he's just an add-on. You know, don't forget to come on Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> or, or man, if you want an extra credit, you want to be more serious about your walk with Jesus, then then come another day a week. Yeah. Or or far, you know, um, g- give money. You know. Right. Um, it, no, like okay, God, starting out with what would you have for me, and that was what the Lord set up through the army that uh, this picture of authority. It just it had to be crystal clear so that yeah. I knew I wasn't going to have my plans, and God was going to kind of get his right. spot on the side or that was a big one yeah i think another thing you mentioned there that i believe is is absolutely true when it comes to faith is the idea of adventure and risk i don't know that faith can really be true if there isn't risk if there isn't some sort of uh, doubtful endeavor that you're undertaking yeah. and i don't know that, that means that every moment of every day you know you're out there living dangerously for jesus but certainly that should be a, a theme that kind of runs throughout your life is what risks are you taking? How are you willing to make the the illogical choice, at least as far as the world is concerned? Yeah. Because of your devotion to Jesus and, and your pursuit of him. And risk actually leads to adventure. And so one of the things that I believe keeps people from experiencing the abundant life that Jesus promised is they're just unwilling to take risks. They're, they're unwilling to follow Jesus outside of it making sense in their mind. Uh, so rather, again, ra- rather than starting with, well, Lord, what do you say my life should be about as I read the scriptures and I study especially the teachings and the, the, the life of Christ? Yeah. How can I pattern my life after him? Well, that's immediately going to put you out of step with, you know, 99 out of the hundred people around you, for sure. Um, but are you willing to do that? If you if you are, then I think the adventure begins, and uh, you really begin to not just know about Jesus, like you said, but you begin to get to know Jesus. One of the coolest verses that I think Jesus gave to his disciples was in Luke Luke twenty two. At the very end of his his time, it was the night of his arrest and betrayal. But he tells the disciples that uh, you are those who have stood by me in my trials. Uh, and then he promised that, that the future was going to be bright, you know, that just as the Father was giving him a kingdom, they also were going to be part of that. But uh, to be able to hear Jesus say that one day, that John, uh, Andrew, you are one of those who stood by me in my trials, who, who went on the adventure with me, I think that's when you begin to get to know Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you're exactly right. I like I like the Matthew 6:33. You kind of have this huge crescendo through Matthew 5 all the way and he really is pushing all the way through that passage, but I think we think so much about that the context of Matthew 6, what will I wear, where will I live, what will I eat. Right. Um in the admonition that that Jesus gives us is seek first the kingdom. You know, seek that first. All of these things will be given to you as well. But I think we have this tendency: well, I got to set everything up first, right? And then I'll follow Jesus. That's the wrong starting point. You know that I have to put this first, right? His kingdom, His righteousness. You know that those things, and then all that other stuff kind of actually kind of crazy. It falls into place, and we've seen that over and over again in our own lives, in the lives of those that we've been investing in. Um whether that's financially or, or God providing in whatever way it may be, um, God has over and over again shown himself to be true to his right. word on that. Yep. We tend to think about all those things, though. 
way too much and then we've lost what really matters which is his kingdom and his righteousness right yeah and if we could just take those steps of faith then you know, that's one of the things I, I thought we might talk about today, which we've, we we kind of already have been. But you know, what keeps people from really getting started? I, I'm talking about people who believe in God, people who have perhaps grown up in church, people who are regularly attending church. What keeps them from really going for it in their pursuit of Jesus? From from really kind of pushing all the chips into the middle of the table. And I think that there are just I think there are major principles but in a in a way it's a switch that you just have to commit the other way so so to to try to build your life and then add Jesus in is never going to work it, yeah. it's never going to lead to a life of discipleship and the solution while it's not um, while it's not easy because it's a completely different way to approach life it is a pretty basic switch which is yeah, it's you, not complicated you, you start putting Jesus first and you make him the number one thing, and, and not just in a, that's a nice sounding soundbite to, to put Jesus first, right. but in practical ways, you begin to carve out time from your daily life to read the gospels, to study Jesus. Um, you find the people that are the best examples that you know who are pursuing Jesus, and you begin to carve out time to spend time with them. So, and then everything else comes in after that, your hobbies, yeah. your career goals so these they're, they're they're simple switches but they're life-altering I think so yeah but any other thoughts from you like over the years of making disciples because you've been at this for 20 years now um, you, any observations on what you think keeps people from getting started like really following Jesus what are some of the things that you've noticed yeah, we fit it a little bit, but there's always this and then. You know, um, I'll get married, I'll get promoted, I'll get out of the army or the navy or whatever obligation I have, or I'll get out of college. Mm. It's always if I do this, then I'll be able to. Um, and somehow we've got to eradicate that from our thinking. We've got to figure out a way to. You know, the time is now. You know, Second Corinthians chapter six talks about today is the day of salvation. There's there's no better time than right now to begin walking with Jesus, to put him first. Right. Um, and we've, we've got to figure out a way to, to kind of create that urgency, you know. Um, and the Bible's full of those kind of stories where um, what we ought to do is say this, you know, if the Lord wills, we will do this or that, like James talks about. Mm -hmm. We're not guaranteed tomorrow. So at, at what point will we just say, I'm no longer going to punt focusing on the kingdom? Yeah. We'll get him next time, you know. No, no, right now. I want to put Jesus first. And what's crazy is if you just challenge people with that way of thinking, then they, they've got to go back to the Lord and wrestle with, oh man, I really am caring about something else more mm -hmm. than I'm caring about with Jesus. And whichever way they decide, it's an informed decision. Yeah. And they just have to say to themselves that Jesus just isn't as important to me as I think he is when they're not willing to get down to business right now. And it's okay to challenge people to that point. Like, right. Look, I hear you saying that Jesus is very, very important. <laughs> right. What I'm experiencing from you is, is that he's important, but after something else. Something is more important. Yes, and he's just not going to take second place. Yeah. It's just not within his character. I think it took me, um, it took me a while to figure that out as I was, as I was working with young, 
younger believers or maybe even some some folks who were not yet believers but they would express man i'm i'm i love what i'm learning i, I love i want to live this life of faith and so they were there was a part of them that was genuinely wanting to follow jesus and to to really go for it and build their life around around him but then you know time would pass and really their life wasn't changing and they weren't following through on some of the steps that we would talk about well this would be a practical way that you could begin to do that on a daily basis and you check back in how's it going it's not going so well it hasn't nothing's really changed and so i i was maybe i'm a little slow but it took me a while i thought what's going on here because when i'm with this person they seem very genuine and i don't i don't think they're lying to me but then there's no follow through so what's happening and the way that it, it reconciled in my mind is that we all have multiple desires and so there is a desire to to live for Jesus and to follow him um, which I think is actually very widespread I think a, most yeah. people believe in God and um, in America a lot of them are inclined towards the Christian version of God and then from within that group I think a lot of people want to be sincere in their faith. They want God to be a part of their lives. And so when they meet someone who's offering them the opportunity to really grow closer to God and begin to really follow Jesus, that desire is there and it's real. The problem is there are these other 10 desires, uh, oftentimes stronger, or some of them are stronger, and they actually work at, at cross purposes with following Jesus. And so when they're with you and they're communicating, yes, this is what I want, or you know, if they're going to a Sunday service and they get stirred up, but then the follow through isn't there because there are these uh, other desires that are short circuiting, yeah. you know, the, uh, the life of really following Jesus. So I, I do think Paul told the Corinthians, you know, test yourself to see whether you're in the faith and yeah. it's possible that you might fail the test. And so if people don't start by really being brutally honest with themselves, that it's not enough to just have a desire to follow Jesus if these other desires are actually keeping you from, from acting on that and following through with that, then you're not living a life of faith because faith is more than just belief in Jesus and that he exists. Yeah. Um, it's, it's actually beginning to take action on that. Hebrews 11, 6, real famous verse. Absolutely. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him. So faith is a matter of coming to God, really pursuing him, seeking him. And then he finishes by saying that you won't do that unless you believe that God exists and you believe that he rewards those who diligently seek him. Yeah. So a lot of people have that first one. They, they believe God exists, yep. but when it comes down to it, they don't really believe that God will reward them if they earnestly seek him. So they're, yeah. they're trying to find that. There's uh, only one way to find out. <laughs> I mean, that's what that verse says, right? The only way we know that he rewards is that we've, we've got to earnestly seek. That's the only way to find out whether and that's, that's true or not. That's the faith piece is yeah. that if I really give my life to Jesus, if I really reorient it so that I'm living for him, hmm. will it be worth it? You know, will he reward me? And, yeah. and that's faith because you, like yep. you said, you're not going to find out unless you actually do it. But you can look at the lives of other people. And I think for that's sure. where disciple making comes in. You can look in, you can look at a life of someone um, who's been following Jesus for 10, 20, 30 years, and you can see how God has guided and blessed their life. And uh, so maybe those are some of the proofs that God, oh, man. That God gives I us. Think, I, 
I think that's the beauty of how God set it up with investing in the disciples is that we would always have this very physical model how God has worked through people over and over again. In fact, as, as you read through the Bible, that story is so clear, clearly woven that um, though all of us are very broken vessels for God's goodness and His grace and His glory, that He has always chosen to use some sort of physical model in front. In fact, so much so that He sent Jesus to be here physically, yeah, right directly in front of yeah. those disciples. So that's the beauty of discipleship is that uh, I think that's the second reason why people really don't get involved is that there's no physical connection to these what seem to be these very heady kind of conceptual ideas from the bible of hmm. you know uh you cannot hate your many enemy you have to love your enemy what right that's not even possible and, and then you see someone do it and you're like whoa yeah um so that's really the second reason i think that was a big one for me is that um I didn't see anyone my age struggling with the same things I was struggling with walking with Jesus. I had lots of examples, but I, I, I didn't see anybody in high school walking with Jesus. I didn't know what it looked like. Mm-hmm. And then I joined the army. Like, well, it seems like I'm the only dude around here who really wants to walk with Jesus. Um, there was one a guy who's a Mormon in my unit, and I thought, man, this guy really takes his faith seriously, and um, he seems to live it out every day. But then as we interacted, I was like, well, there didn't seem to be anything here that we would really agree on in terms of the kind of concepts about God that I had been taught. Right. So it was kind of there, but it wasn't. But there was this guy who was living out in purposes faith. Hmm. Um, but I think that's the second thing. is The cool thing about discipleship is we get to be a physical example of what it looks like, one, to successfully walk with Jesus and fail as we try to walk with Jesus. Right. And we get back up again. Fail, but keep going. Yeah. So... Um, I think that was the beauty of what God gave us is that God um, used you as a very physical representation of someone who would read the scriptures every day and was was in the scripture. I remember uh, when I first got to Fort Campbell, I had to get pick up my vehicle. It was all the way in St. Louis. And you and uh, Jim Smith and Daniel Moore, we all kind of piled in the car and we <laughs> drove all the way up to St. Louis. But the whole time we were driving in the car, it was where you guys were sharing memory verses and I don't know if I'd ever have been interacting with people who were so serious about asking me about my relationship with Jesus. Hmm. And it wasn't, it wasn't like conceptual questions. They were very much so like, what's it look like for you to follow God at work, to honor God with how you do work and to when's the last time you share the gospel or have you ever led anyone to, to Christ? And those are all great questions for me because it was pointing me constantly back to how do you live your life every day hmm. for Jesus? I thought, man, these guys are weird. You know, these are some of the strangest questions I've ever been asked, but they were actually the questions that I needed to be asked because I, I'd never had this physical representation of what my life should look like Yeah, following Jesus day in and day out. And I think that's the beauty of End of the Harvest, that we're in the, that you, that we're in the business of asking those questions. Right. What's it look like to be where you're at, representing Jesus well every single day? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think the closest thing... I think that's really great, John, because if we're going to make disciples, I think we need both of those wings of an airplane, so to speak. You know, there's there's the side of it that is the doctrine, the the deep truths of of the scripture, yeah. the understanding of who Jesus is, these these concepts in in a way, these beliefs that we have. But we also need the other wing, which is just the everyday practical um in many ways, not 
not impressive yeah. um, actions that we, we're helping people actually learn how to live out faith. And I think the closest thing that I can compare it to, you know, outside of, of making disciples is like parenting. I really do think that making disciples is, is a lot like parenting where you're investing in the next generation. And the things that you help your kids with that you probably don't even think about too much, but, um, but the, the, they, need, they need help in these really basic ways, you know, and they're not yeah. huge principles and themes. But, you know, things that my dad told me, you know, if you're not 10 minutes early, you're late. Just a simple little um, phrase that sticks with me here, whatever, you know, 30, 40 years later. Yeah, sure. Um, and it's kind of carried me through my adult years of working different places. Um, I've got a 17-year-old who's job hunting right now, and so he fills out an application. I tell him, I can barely read your writing, so it doesn't matter how impressed how impressive what you wrote is if I'm the manager and I get 10 applications and it's harder for me to read one of them, you're automatically out, you know? So these little, little simple things that, that make a difference. But then you you think of families where there isn't a father that's there, or maybe both parents are there, but they're not really engaged with the kids and the kids are just having to figure it out for themselves. And I really believe that's a picture of the church today that we've got a lot of young believers who have maybe been believers for years, but they've never really learned how to live it out in, in practical ways. And no one's ever really taken the time to, to try to help them figure out the practical side. We just keep getting more of the theories and the beliefs and the the um, ethereal principles, yeah. thinking that if we just keep, if we give more of these, then people are gonna, it's gonna click and people are gonna start living it out. And they just need to learn how to write legibly on their, on their application, you know, and no one's given them that feedback. So, right. Yeah. It's really, it's strange uh, that there is a, a very heavy emphasis on instruction. Mm-hmm. Um, but re- really there's a whole bunch of things that you need. You know, there's a whole bunch of I words. I think, um, you need instruction. Um, I think for me, I needed inspiration. Like what I, what I received from you was, Whoa, like this can be done. Like you can walk with Jesus. You can make an impact. You can walk the streets. You can't like, so for me, it was, I was going to flail out there and just kind of whimsically do it and pray something happened. And that's a faith adventure for sure. But I'm just so thankful that God brought in someone that kind of connected the information with inspiration, which was, I can actually go and engage with people for the sake of the Lord. Mm. And to see someone else do that was very inspiring. Um, and, even as I'm reading the word, obviously that can be inspiring as well, but being able to connect and c- click those two things. Um, the last thing I think that I really got from you was this intentional intentionality. So information, inspiration, and intentionality that those three things kind of working together really allow the discipleship to really take place. So the last thing I think really keeps people out of um, discipleship is... Um, and out of disciple making is they just they're not real intentional hmm. it's this uh well we'll kind of get to it or we'll sit down and just kind of yeah. talk for an hour or so and kind of see what happens right um and i actually think that comes from not knowing what to do or not having confidence that you can disciple someone yeah um we'll just kind of be together and even when we move beyond kind of these heady concepts and we're trying to connect it with life there's really no plan and we're just kind of talking Oh, how what were the highs and lows of your week? And those aren't that's not bad at all. But uh, this this man, what 
needs to be in place so we can move kind of step by step in a general direction to becoming more like Jesus, right. being right. more effective for the kingdom. Um, so that that one's a big one. Um, and I got that very, very clearly from you. In fact, that I actually thought early on there wasn't any question I could ask you that you wouldn't have an answer for that you hadn't thought about. <laughs> I had you fooled. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, holy cow, this guy knows everything about the Lord, you know? like, uh, And it just didn't matter what it was. But uh, one, you had been training. You'd been memorizing the Scripture, studying the Scriptures, uh, reading the Bible every single day at this point for about seven or eight years, actually. Yeah. Um, it wasn't like you had all the answers instead, but you knew who had all the answers. And mm-hmm. so your confidence wasn't in the fact that you had all these skills, but instead that you had this intimate walk with Jesus. Right. And then as we interacted, you could be very intentional about... Um, I remember thinking, about, why does this guy never tell me what he thinks? But instead, well, what do you think about this passage? Or, hey, check out these thoughts. Or even things that I wrestled with from my past of principles that seem to kind of have multiple answers from the Bible. Right. Instead of telling me the answer, you'd say, well, well, let's look at these two things. Mm. What do you think God's saying? What do you think God's doing? Mm. Which is a very intentional choice from you to not be a teller, mm-hmm. but instead to, to constantly bring me back to the Bible. To try to teach people where to find the answers yeah, rather than just it, giving them the answers. Exactly. So that intentionality, what it does is it, it keeps me from being a teller, which means I don't have to have all the answers, which means that, oh, man, all I have to do is know the Lord who has all the answers, mm. and we can constantly push people back to the Lord. You've got a, something you're struggling with? Well, what's Jesus say? Mm. Constantly going from life to the Bible, from the Bible to life. So yeah. That intentional piece is, I think, a, a big thing that keeps people out of disciple making. Yeah, and I think some of it is just maybe, maybe for some folks, they just believe that God will do it. Well, if God wants me to make disciples, then he'll help it happen. And it reminds me a little bit of what we were talking about earlier, just with our own stories. So I was convinced that God wanted me to make disciples. And I had been working in that for several years, but had never really found someone who was like-hearted. And so so that was kind of the starting point. Well, the intentional pieces, what I think what God showed me in that is that that I wasn't praying fervently though. So, mm-hmm. so that was, I, w- I was trying to do it. Maybe I was too intentional in that sense. But what God I think highlighted was, no, this is only gonna happen if I'm involved in it from the very beginning. But that was still an intentional choice on my part then to pray, to start praying sure. like, all right, Lord, now that you've taught me this, I'm gonna start really praying every day fervently that you would let me connect with someone that I can begin to pass on the things that you've been teaching me. Yeah. Um, and then even going through the barracks, that was one way that I was trying to be intentional, just to be thinking through, well, where would a person like that possibly be? Yeah. And so I, I think that's really true. I think intentionality is something that um, maybe we're a little bit too laissez-faire when it comes to expecting God to do more than he's going to do. I mean, he's going to have sure. to ultimately cause the growth, but... You know, we still have to plant. We still have to to water. He gets all the credit, but there's work that that we have to do if there's going to be yeah. a harvest for sure. Well, maybe that's a, a good opportunity for us to transition, switch gears a little bit because we have known each other for 20 years. I would say the thing that I was giving my life to 20 years ago is the same thing I'm giving my life to today. That hasn't changed, and I think the same is true for you. So. Yeah. Um, the navigators organization that you're a part of that that Cindy and I were a part of when we when we met 
they have something they talk about, which is lifetime laborers, people that are following Jesus and working in the harvest, but doing that for a lifetime. And I think we've both seen that that's pretty rare. And very few people even begin to work in the harvest, but of those that begin, um, even fewer stick with it for a lifetime. So what are some of the things that you've been learning about you know, what it takes to, uh, to become a life, lifetime laborer or what keeps people from sticking with it over, the, over a lifetime? Yeah, this is a, for me, this is a question that I lose sleep over. Um, mm-hmm. That uh, so many of our friends and, and laborers that we've been involved with, whether that's from Fort Campbell to Fort Bragg or even here, you know, out in uh, California, that uh, where are all of them? Mm. I know um, so many of them are totally different places. You know, there's more of them outside of our local ministry areas than there are that are actually physically there. If you think about 20 years of, of ministry, there's so many of these folks that are all kind of spread out all over the United People States. People that you've invested in who have right. been either because they're with the military or they got out of the military, but they're they're outside of your local area now. Yeah. So for me, I, I this is, I really don't, it's not just a saying that this is something that keeps me up at night that uh, um, I love that phrase, lifelong laboring. I love the picture out of uh, Deuteronomy um, 34-7. I think we were talking about it. And it's, it's a kind of a commentary on Moses where he says, um, it's said of him that Moses was 120 years old. Um, his eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated. Hmm. And um, what's so impressive about that is, is that had God not brought him home, um, God had not taken him, then uh, he would have been probably the first one down the mountain with a sword drawn, kind of <laughs> charging the enemy going into the promised land. And if you can have that picture... Um, those are the type of men and women that that I want to be, um, and that's definitely the type of man and woman that I want to raise up for the sake of the kingdom. And uh, so many things just use us up that keep us from having this kind of vision that's undimmed, you know, and a vigor that's just kind of kind of second to none. Um, and really, I think it's a it, there's a subtle creep away from putting the kingdom first. So you can't really start in discipleship without putting the kingdom first and being all in with Jesus. And, and you really won't labor for a lifetime if you can't be all in and stick with him. And the longer you walk with Jesus, the more the distractions will come in. Um, well, what about this? Or what about this? Or you get more and more responsibilities um, as you're walking with Jesus. So, you know, as you're 20 years old and you, all you have is time, then you're zealous and you run around all over post and your college campus or whatever it is, talking about Jesus and going from event mm-hmm. to event. And, mm-hmm. and what'd you get? Hey, let's get up tomorrow. We'll be getting the quiet. Hey, let's run and pray tomorrow. Or there's all of this free time to do whatever you want, whenever you want to do it. Hmm. Um, but as you grow and mature, there's more responsibilities. You know, you, you may get married and well, what's it look like for you too to partner in the kingdom um, and then you might have children. And at the same time as you're getting married and having children, then you're getting promoted in your work. Um, so there's this kind of constant pull of your time. Hmm. And uh, I think we lack the intentionality to come back and say, no, no, we're together in relationship as a couple. And we have a family together for the sake of the kingdom. How can we make this a team event? You know, it's, it's the Snyder family against the world. It's not just John's ministry and everybody else is kind of an also ran in our family. It's 
all of us together. We're praying for the laborers in our ministry. We're praying for our friends that are beyond our ministry. So you constantly have to redeem the mission because always it'll be, you'll have mission creep. Hmm. We just had a good friend of ours who uh, had been with us for a number of years, four or five years, and he moved out of town to a different um, job, very much so a God-given job, very, very random. It was so clear that God had set it up. And he called back, and he'd been there for about a month. He's like, dude, you will not believe it. I never thought this would ever be true, but I I feel like I kind of just lost the mission for like a couple weeks. Hmm. I forgot why we were here. Hmm. I was settling into my job, and we're trying to get into a new place, and He's like, it's crazy, man. I'm not here to make money or run this business. Or, man, we're here to represent Jesus and minister to the people around us. And he's like, man, I, it was scary, you know. And he's mm. like, it's embarrassing t- for me to admit to you, I, I lost it for a little bit. Mm. But the beautiful thing was that God was right there in the scriptures and brought it right back to the forefront for him. And man, it was a great reset for him to be in the Word and to see God say that thing so uh, to mm. him. So the very first thing is we just—it's a mission creep. Mm. Um, and we allow ourselves to be used up um, by everything else. Um, that, man, I'll, after this deployment or when I retire or whatever, then at the end of the day, that the vigor's gone. The, the drive for the kingdom is it's just less because you've used it up on other things. Yeah. So that's a big one, I think. I don't know if you've seen that or not. but Yeah, definitely. I, I like there are several things that you were saying that, that stood out to me and and one was just at every at every stage of life with every major life change, whether that's getting married, having children, being promoted, um, you have to redeem the mission, which I, I think is a really true statement that it, you, you have to recalibrate. The mission hasn't changed. My commitment to it hasn't changed. But the way I pursue it, I, I need to reconfigure because there's there's new realities in my life. Um, so rather than seeing the mission as something that gets put on hold or gets put secondary, no, it, it, it always needs to be, you know, front and center, number one. Um, and the idea of postponing or taking a break, I do think is, um, is a big mistake. And I've seen this happen a lot with, with children as people have kids. Um, maybe you grew up in, uh, a broken home or a dysfunctional home or, or maybe you didn't even have one of your parents around and I think it's the same issue of faith though that so so sometimes we feel like well I'm I'm gonna make sure that I am a great parent for my kids and you know subtly you know your family can become the mission and that become your children raising your kids and it's actually I think one of the um, the great areas of idolatry in the American church is is to focus on the family and and you know not to not to give Dr. Dobson a, a hard time because I don't think that's necessarily w- what he was necessarily trying to do. But even the name I think is a great it's a great name that if you focus on the family, then you're not going to be able to live out the mission that that Christ has for you because you're not focusing on Christ. You know the family needs to focus on Christ, and that's what you're trying to do. Uh, I read a great quote. I thought it was a great quote where, you know, the more you focus on your children as a parent, the more self-centered your children will be as they grow up. And so there are these, it's the same issue though. There's fears that, well, if I don't really make sure that my kids get it, then what if they go off the reservation as they get older? And, and so we're just not trusting God that he'll, He'll be involved in our children's lives 
as we together seek first the kingdom. Even if that means that there are times where there are sacrifices that we make. Um, so I think that's a, that's a great one that at, at each stage you have to, to redeem the mission and reconfigure how am I living this out? Because we are gonna put the kingdom first. We are gonna seek Jesus first. But I think another one that stands out to me that, that I've seen in my own life is that there's a need uh, as we get older that we need to be growing. We need to be continually being stretched and challenged. And I think something that I've seen that has kept people from laboring for a lifetime is they sort of get the 101 of following Jesus and making disciples. And then there's almost this idea that, well, now I just need to operate on that you know, operate that way and do that over and over for the next 40 years. And I don't think that's how God wired us as humans. Like if we're not personally being challenged and stretched, if we're not taking those risks in our own life, whether that's, um, you know, making uh, a new transition to uh, a new place or a new contribution in the kingdom, then I think people just sort of get bored, you know, like kind of like your question earlier. Is this all there is, is just read my Bible in the morning and go to a Bible study and lead a small group? Um, you know, those can be exciting, life-changing things at, at a certain time in our life, and then they can become routine and, well, yep, doing this, doing this again this week. So I think trying to find ways to prayerfully learn the new lessons that God wants to teach you and always be, always be in the posture of a learner which is one of the primary roles of a disciple is to, is to be a learner yeah. is uh, something that can hopefully help people. I, I know it's helped me uh, that I always feel like I'm just a little bit out of my depth, you know, but uh, not so far out of it that I'm just completely disoriented. But even doing something like the podcast is, I don't really know what I'm doing, but I believe this is something the Lord wants me to lean into and learn and, yeah have fun with as as we grow. Yeah, I think that, I think it was a Walt Hendrickson quote, I may be kind of blurring the lines on all that he said, but something to the effect of um, the word of God and the circumstances of life will always force you back to a place of complete dependency upon the Lord. Hmm. So that picture is, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, you can react to that in a couple of different ways. Well, okay, I just need to work harder at what I already know to be true. Or you can go back to the Lord and say, okay, Lord, what am I doing that I'm, that I shouldn't be doing? And what am I not doing that I should be? Yeah. So as the circumstances of life, as the scriptures, as my friends, as my family come back to me and, and I'm getting feedback on what's going on in my life, it forces me back to the Lord, forces me to be dependent upon the Lord and to hear anew what it is he wants me to engage in. And I just think that, uh, we're not creative enough when it comes to following Jesus hmm. that uh, we just <clears throat> rather Sunday is the model than Sunday is the model. I it's, mean, it's familiar. Go to church on Sunday. You know, right. there's nothing wrong with dude. Go to church and interact <laughs> with people. Enjoy the time together. Um, you know, even, even like kind of a, a, a weekly ministry week and, and its structure in terms of going out and learning how to do evangelism and coming to Bible study, spending in-depth time in the scriptures, having man to man's like, there's nothing wrong with those things. In fact, they're great. Mm -hmm. But if they become this schedule that hasn't been redeemed before the Lord, then you, you've actually failed to be creative and really listen to Jesus. And what you end up being dependent upon is your structure. 
and yeah. the training that you had in those specific things rather than being dependent upon the Lord. Right. So as you're kind of feeling this pull of <clears throat> like, oh man, I don't know what it looks like in this season. You can't double down on what you did the last season. You kind of got to leave it all open up before the Lord and ask God, what would it look like in this season for us as a family and ministry or for me as a person or for us as a couple? Yeah, or even the the community as a whole. I know we've been talking about that, that that the community also uh, shifts and changes over time. So as as a leader, as an overseer of a local community, what what needs to change so that we're actually addressing where we where we're at now? And not just doing the same things that we were doing last year or three years ago. Yeah. Because that that served us for where we were then. But what needs to change so that we're actually moving forward as yeah. a, uh, a faith community now in the present? Yeah, what's the definition of insanity? Is <laughs> doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result, you know? that. Yeah. That's the beauty of walking with Jesus is that, man, even you just see it through the scriptures. Well, we did this last time. No, I want you to do this. This yeah, time we're doing it like this. You know, uh, on this topic of what to take to labor for a lifetime, and I gave a talk last year out of First Corinthians fifteen, verse fifty-eight, where Paul tells the Corinthians to always give themselves fully to the work of the Lord, and that's such a um, <laughs> that's such a uh, all-consuming word from Paul there to, to oh, always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. It, it reminds me of what you were saying about Moses, you know, that his, his uh, eye was not dimmed and his vigor was not abated. He was still giving himself fully to uh, a life lived for God at the age of 120, just as he had at the age of 80. So as we're talking about this lifetime laboring, I think, um, Something that's also helped me is to take a step back and to realize that that there are seasons of life. And I don't want to, this is a bit of a caveat, so I don't want to necessarily, even though I think at any given time I should be trusting God and, and taking action on the work that he's put before me at this given moment. At the same time, there are seasons that are slower. There are seasons where I, I don't feel as connected, as I, I don't feel as into this this life of faith as as perhaps I did, you know, in the past. And I I believe that's normal. I believe that's just part of life. And part of what you're learning in those seasons, I believe, is endurance and perseverance. And will you continue to trust God even when it's not exciting, even when there doesn't seem to be this this new lesson that you're grappling with, even when it doesn't seem like there's another young disciple or leader that, that's come up on the, the horizon that you're investing in? Will you endure? Will you pers- persevere? Will you continue to, uh, to put Christ first and live for him even when your emotions aren't, aren't as engaged as maybe they were in the past? And I've definitely seen that in my own life. And what I found is that when I've endured, it cycles back and God takes me through a new season of growth. And so to not give up, to not give up hope, you know, if you are going through one of those dry seasons, but to keep following, to keep seeking and to trust that it's not always going to be that way. So be faithful, even when the results aren't there, even when you aren't feeling feeling it 
like maybe you have in the past, maybe what God's teaching you is, well, will you persevere? And there's a verse at the end of uh, Habakkuk. I think that's how you say. Sure. I think that's how say you say it, that. Say it confidently. <laughs> Habakkuk. But he talks about, you know, even if the crops don't come in, even if the rain doesn't come, he's still going to trust in the Lord and rejoice and, uh, and believe that there is a future that God has for him and for the people. And so I, I think that's also a uh, maybe a, a key to lifetime laboring is, hey, it's not always going to be fun. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> I think you see that in David's life, right? Where, in fact, there in Psalm 86, uh, he talks, he actually is pleading to God. He says, would you show me a sign of your favor? Right. Like, Are you still there? I'm getting my teeth kicked in. I'm like, well, well What's going on here? He pleads to God, God, show me that you're still here, that you're still at work, that yeah. we're still good, you know? And right. That uh, I know that I've had those moments and that, man, I don't know what I'm doing. Um, I'm frustrated. I know that the Lord is good. I just don't seem to be in tune with what he's doing. So yeah. And David just, he cries out, he says, show me a sign of your favor. Which is a legit give prayer. A, you yeah, know, we give can... me a sense of your presence, you know? Yeah, that's great. Um, and I think it's totally fine to, to kind of have those moments with the Lord. Lord, I know that you're good. I know that you have a plan. I know you want to use me, use us as a family. What What's going on? <laughs> you know, yeah. And just to kind of to sit back and listen. You know, to trust God to speak at that point. Yeah. Even as you're kind of muddling through things. You know? Yep. S- stay in it for the long haul. Yeah. Well, John. Um, Thanks for joining us on the podcast. Uh, our regular listeners will have heard the uh, the siren go by there a moment ago. <laughs> of course, yeah. Yeah, one of these days we'll have a real studio with uh, some soundproof walls. Right now we live right down the street from a hospital, so uh, folks, you're probably just going to hear those ambulances every now and then. They're used to them. <laughs> but yeah, uh, John, John and I have a a lifelong friendship and we'll definitely have you on the podcast again john's out here actually here in san diego this week because he's going to be officiating lakeith and stephanie's wedding here in a few days actually when this podcast comes out um that will be the wedding day so be official huh yeah as you guys are listening to this say a little prayer for uh, lakeith and steph and just thanksgiving that the lord has, has brought them together but um john is normally on the east coast we're out here on the west coast but it's it's fun that we've been able to stay connected and even more than that to to stay really close friends and and partners in the work over the years so we'll definitely be talking with you more in the future but thanks for being on yeah thanks for having me brother it's fun being with you thanks for listening to the show one of the best ways you can partner with us to grow our community is to share this podcast with your friends whether it's word of mouth or sharing our content on social media we need your help to spread the message Thanks for being part of our family. Together, we're bringing discipleship into the digital age.